It is the 200 level episode 294, Mike Carpenter in the basement on this Wednesday evening. Fall has sprung. I know we say spring has sprung. So what, fall has fallen? I'm not sure. But I do know that when I went for a run earlier this evening and I kind of ran by the stadium, as I often do, and I do that anyways. I like running on campus by the stadiums because it's a lot of big sidewalks. I got space. I I can kind of clear my head. And as I was running by it, it kind of occurred to me just how this is starting to have a different tinge than, let's say, when I ran by it a month ago. There there are things at stake that we don't normally have at stake as we exit October and enter November. And that's a fun feeling. The nights are starting to hit a little bit earlier. The sun's out only for a little bit. That sort of glow that you get from the yellow and orange and red trees, it's adding this drama in the air where usually there would not be drama because Illinois would be three and four or two and five like they were last year, two and five. And we'd be basically out of it. So now you sit at six and one with a winnable game against Nebraska coming up, a game that you should win, a game that Vegas started at five and a half and has moved all the way up to eight, which tends to tell you that, yeah, this is a game that the smart money is on Illinois to win and win potentially by more than one score. Now, I have the stats for both Nebraska and Illinois, and I think that this will bear out that, yes, if you do what you got to do, if you take care of business, this is going to be a nice start to your final five. And that's what I'm calling this episode, the final five. This is the home stretch. I think the team knows what's in front of them. The nervous energy that I have, I got to think that that's percolating through the building, but in a way that after a bye week, they got to be chomping at the bit to get back on the football field and do what they do best. And that is knock some people around and control the ball on offense. And maybe, just maybe, taking that step offensively to close out drives. If they do that, these last five games are not just going to be, oh, you win three of them, go to Indy. These last five games could be a lot of fun if they figure that out. Because you have an elite defense. And if that offense can take that step from pretty darn good to very good, potentially even great, I know that's a big word, but when you got Chase Brown and Tommy DeVito, why not? Then you enter some different conversations. Now, I'm not going to get to the Michigan game yet. I will let you know, yeah, bought the tickets on Sunday. Finally bit the bullet and said, we're going to get the tickets. Got some nice sort of corner of the end zone on the east side of the big house. We're being a late November game, we should be right in the sun. And that's crucial when you're in there because it's kind of a, a wind bowl if you aren't careful with where you sit. So we got our tickets. We're ready to go for that. I certainly am. Uh, but first things first, you know, ne- Nebraska is not a team to overlook, right? And I think we all recognize that. I don't think Illini fans are taking anything for granted. But I also think it's okay, based on how this team has played, to have a quiet confidence about you and to think that, yeah, these guys – We'll get it done. The first factor at play here is, of course, the coaching. In years past, let's go back to the Zook era. They start 6-0 in 2011, but we had plenty of tape that would suggest that it could have fallen out from under us at any moment, and it did. And it did rather quickly and rather exponentially all at once, 6-0 and to 6-6. and But none of us were shocked by that. We, we kind of saw that... Through those seven years of Zook, that experience left you always a little bit leery. Ron Turner had two good years, but that one that was sandwiched in between there in 2000 indicated that this might not work sustainably with him. The history of Illinois football, there's not enough really other options to go to. Lou Tepper just wasn't very good and inherited a great program and just left it in the dust by the time he left. John Makovic was a consistent winner. And then by then you're getting to the mid eighties. I don't know how relevant that is to right now in this college football landscape. There are a few coaches I would rather have in this kind of setting at this time of year than Brett Bielema. Remarkable when you consider that just two years ago, he was not even a name being thrown around for college positions. This may be a case where the timing ended up working out well. We're keeping lovey for that extra year in 2020 gave you the opportunity to go get Brett Bielema after his image had been, you know, he reclaimed his good image and and showed that he was ready to come back to the college ranks. Timing is everything often that maybe it was in this case. So as you enter these final five games, you trust the coaching staff. I certainly do. And not just Bielema, but the staff that he's assembled. And the fact that this team has really built their entire 6-1 record on consistent, fundamental football. Yes, there have been turnovers. Yes, the special teams have left you wanting at some points. 
especially not being able to kick the ball out of the damn end zone or the return against the Minnesota had against you. There are those moments, not a perfect team, but they tackle well. They get to the quarterback. They protect their own quarterback. They run block. Now they're starting to catch. Uh, You have more things going right for you than most of the opponents on your schedule. In fact, you have more things going for you than four of your final five opponents. And the fifth one, Michigan, what the hell? Who cares? Go in there. Have some fun. But these final five games do feel like the home stretch. They feel like the final push. And it feels like the first seven games for this team, we may look back on as the appetizer. And that these games are the main course. Now, I will say that the three-game stretch that you had against Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, we will probably look back. If this season ends with a trip to Indy, we'll look back back on that three-game stretch as I know Jeremy Warner said this, and I think he already stole my podcast title idea, and he can have it because it was well-played, how the West was won. You know, that old, I don't know if it was a John Ford Western. I don't think it was, but an old Western film back in the early 60s How the West was won is a perfect title for that three-game stretch if you can close it out in these final five. That's the position you're in. You are in a position of closing this thing out, taking care of business, and punching your ticket to Indy as soon as the Purdue game. So the Nebraska game by itself is not the biggest game on the schedule, but given the context, right now, each next game is the biggest game on the schedule because of what's right there and what's attainable for you. Purdue could lose to Iowa next week. It wouldn't shock me as bad as Iowa's offense is played. Purdue and that offense of their own can be inconsistent if they aren't throwing for 500 yards a game. They, they are pedestrian at times, and Iowa can make other teams mistake-prone. That's kind of Iowa's last gasp, isn't it? I mean, they, they have to do something. So I think that'll be a close game between Iowa and Purdue, but I expect Purdue ultimately wins. That would set up November 12th, if you take care of business in these next two, to win the Big Ten West at home on senior night. You're feeling the energy and momentum all over, right? You're feeling it. Josh Whitman emailed alums and fans and faculty and staff. My wife got one of these. 3,000 tickets left for Michigan State. 3,000. So by my count, you can fit over 60,000. You, you got 57,000 tickets sold, which is, what, 13,000, 14,000 more than you had for either the Iowa or Minnesota games, right? So the flash sales have worked, but I think more, on t- more than that, people have bought in. And it took them a few games more than maybe others, but hey, people are buying in. And I think they're buying in because they see the style of football. I noticed it when I got back out to the tailgate lot after Minnesota. My buddy Andrew, who drove down from Chicago, my friend Matt, these guys are more casual Illini football fans than me, but the way that they had reacted to that game and the way that they greeted me like, dude, we're legit, was obviously not just because of the final score, which we only won that game, I say only, by 12, but it was because the way that you dominated that game. Anyone that watched it saw, man, this was not as close as the final score indicated. That game was well in hand for Illinois for most of it. So they sensed it. Others have sensed it. Now they're buying tickets. And now we have this five-game stretch where you can really make this one of those seasons. I go back to 2001, which is what I think is much more comparable to this year, a veteran-laden team that put everything together, and they took advantage of a favorable schedule. And as they got down the stretch, they would have been 6-1 and one with the one loss against, uh, let me think here, Michigan, yeah, and they actually got smoked at the big house. So at that point, you were not thinking Big Ten Championship, but then they just went against, what, Minnesota. They beat Indiana on the road. They went at Purdue, despite Kurt Kittner, I think, throwing three or four interceptions in the first half. You go on the road to beat Ohio State, but I want to say the week before that, you're 7-1 and one and Penn State comes to town. And you end up beating them. It was a 2.30 ABC game. They were leading 21-7 to at half, or 20-7 to at half. And I remember my dad and I standing outside the stadium, um, just outside of the East Main. Because you, could you couldn't leave to go back to the tailgate lots because it's post-9-11. But you could go out into the sidewalk. And we're sitting out there and thinking, God, this, this would kind of be a bummer to be 7-2 and two instead of 8-1. and one. And then you would effectively end Big Ten title conversation. And then they came back. And that was a game that we didn't expect to be as scary. And the point I'm making here is that there will probably be a scary game here. It's football. 
maybe we dominate every game other than Michigan, and maybe we just take care of business, and it's never in doubt. That that would be great. I'd love that. I don't need drama, but I do get the feeling drama will happen at some point. It could happen Saturday. I don't know if it will, because I just don't know how good Nebraska is, and I think you're pretty damn good, and you're still capable of getting better. But, uh, you know, Nebraska has some dudes. Michigan State still has some dudes. Purdue has some dudes. It's college football. It's weird. There will probably be a moment in these next three games where you need to do something rather big. You haven't had to have that comeback yet. You haven't had to have that game-ending drive. And really, since Indiana, uh, I guess you could say the Iowa game, you had to close them out on their last drive, but we knew Iowa wasn't going to do anything after you got the game-winning field goal. But you might be in a position where you got to stop Aiden O'Connell or this Thompson QB for Nebraska or Peyton Thorne in the Michigan State offense. You might have to do that. But that's how championships are won. So there's that, there's that moment that's still out there, right? I think there's that moment. I don't know if it's going to happen this weekend or not. But what a place to be in that we can start thinking, okay, not just in terms of one game, but here is a five-game stretch, and it's all right there in front of them. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I cannot stop thinking about Illini football. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot stop thinking about it. And uh, here we go. It begins. The bye week is fun. It's nice to get the you know get refreshed. But usually we would make jokes about, well, the bye week, at least we didn't lose. Well, this bye week, I was just wishing, man, I, w- I really wish I could watch an Illini football game. Well, now we get back to it. So let's do that. All right. After a longer opening segment than most, I want to hit the sponsors real quick. And then we got some stuff here in the chat thread. Hi, everybody on YouTube Live for joining me on this Wednesday evening. Good to see you all. All right, DPDO. Online at dpdo.com. Get a celebratory calzone at approximately 6 p.m. on Saturday. I would love for that game to be a blowout where maybe you could get it at halftime and still feel pretty good. But regardless, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so you don't even need to leave home to get DP Dough. Custom zones with any topping you want or some of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone online at dpdo.com. You get the signature dipping sauce on the side. These things are just absolutely delicious. We we maxed out on DP Dough Calzones in college, and it's still as good as then. And that's why they're still open 16 years later. DPDough.com. Also got to thank Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Hey, it is football season, tailgate season, campfires, s'mores. It's sweatshirt weather. Next week, a couple 70-degree days. But it looks like by the game next Saturday, you're looking 50s and 60s. Probably better get that furnace checked before it gets really cold. We've had a couple 40-degree days. You know how that feels. You don't want to be in a house where your furnace isn't tip-top shape. And Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing can check it out for you. We did it ourselves. Service was second to none. Give them a call today at 217-841-4728. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. Also, Rector Construction online at R-E-C-T-O-R-Construction.com. For all your home exterior projects, that's RectorConstruction.com. I've seen a few of their trucks when I've been on my runs, working on stuff around the neighborhood. And don't let the upcoming cool temperatures dissuade you from getting a free quote for your next home exterior project. Great customer service, expert craftsmen. They're also really good at giving back to the community as a townie. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the guys at Rector Construction, R-E-C-T-O-R Construction.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen. Online at BrianIsMyGuy.com. Life, auto, home, business, Renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. He can be your guy as well. We have our homeowners in auto through State Farm, so you get the great prices as you would expect, but it is the customer service and the ease of communication with Brian that makes him my guy. He can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Also got to thank Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level. Got to thank my Yeti full of decaf coffee. I like the taste of coffee so much. And coffee's great for you, by the way. It's got a cleansing effect. So uh, for someone that does like the occasional whiskey, it is good to have coffee consistently um, for anyone that likes their whiskey, rum, or beer, whatever it may be. Uh, I need to take a sip of it now. Mm, Delish. Yes. Eight o'clock. Whole bean. Grind it. Delicious. It's funny because I used to serve old people, (laughs) not old people, elderly folks, at Clark Lindsay Village, including Nick Hollingyak, who was the inventor of the LED light at the University of Illinois. One of the nicest guys I've ever met, to be honest. you think a genius would maybe be difficult or something. No, he was probably the nicest person there. But it, I always thought it was interesting how many of them ordered decaf, but it makes sense to me now. I'm going to be this, the guy 
at the retirement village ordering decaf with my dinner because I just love coffee. All right, Illinois, Nebraska. going to hit up something in a bit. I have stats on each team. And I think this will kind of paint a picture of what kind of game we could be looking at. First, I want to hit up the chat thread here. And we got quite a few. Keith asked if there's any DMB posters in the man cave. Keith, on the other side of this phone. So behind the phone is my TV to watch the games and some posters, including two My Morning Jacket concert posters and two Dave Matthews Band posters. And speaking of My Morning Jacket, this brings me to this weekend. I temporarily thought, Maybe I could do a second half pod for the exhibition game against Quincy. However, Friday, I'm going to be getting ready for a trip to Louisville Saturday where me and a buddy are seeing my morning jacket. It's a hometown gig for them. Halloween costume ball at the KFC Yum Center. What a name for an arena. It's going to be a perfect day if Illinois beats Nebraska and then I get a rock show after that. And actually, this full circle just hit me. This might be a good omen, people, if you believe in such things. The last time Illinois played Nebraska was week zero of 2020. I was not at that game. Where was I? Seeing my morning jacket. There we go. If you needed that sort of superstitious thing to latch onto, and actually this is going to help me on Saturday because I'm going to wake up feeling confident, but then you think, oh, no, what if? No, 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 no. Last time I saw my morning jacket, or I should say two times ago I saw my morning jacket, Illinois beat Nebraska. There we go. This is serendipity. This whole season has been serendipitous, except for the game at Indiana. I'm feeling good. So the next podcast will be Sunday, and it will be after lunch at some point. I'm leaving Louisville at a fairly decent time, so whenever I get back and get settled in, I'll hop on here and cover that Nebraska game. And hopefully it's a positive podcast. I'm optimistic that it will be. So Keith, your your question about DMB posters actually led into something I hadn't even thought of. Nebraska and Illinois play football. My morning jacket concert that night. I'm 1-0. Let's make it 2-0. All right, Cardinals 13. If Brett Bielema comes to Illinois when Lovey was hired or soon after, he doesn't have this quick success. Arkansas humbled him, and he learned so much with Belichick. A perfect storm situation. I think, Cardinals, there is something to this. Um, Sometimes narratives, I think, can get overblown, and I'm as guilty as anybody of taking certain narratives like the hangover game, which I think will play into the Michigan State game next weekend. They're playing Michigan this weekend. They're going to leave it all on the field at the big house. Whether they win or not, I don't know. I doubt they will, but they're going to leave it all out there, and I think that bodes well for Illinois. One narrative I do agree with, though, Cardinals, is that people do mature. I look back at things that I did five or ten years ago, and I'm a different person. I think that it would have to be humbling to have left the success at Wisconsin thinking, I'm so good I can just waltz into Arkansas and get it done. And he got three bowl games in five years, which we would take, right? But that wasn't going to cut it down there. And I don't think Arkansas people look at Brett Bielema with much favor. And I get it. It didn't end well down there. But I do think he's matured. I think anyone can be humbled. And I think he does have that good mix of a fairly confident guy. But I've not gathered in his press conferences anything beyond confidence. I haven't seen arrogance or anything like that. I actually love listening to his press conferences. I I appreciate what seems to me to be authentic answers to questions. And we haven't seen yet the angry or ticked off Bielema. There's going to be moments, even if this is really successful, there's going to be moments where a, a tough game happens or a tough stretch. And especially after you get success, it's going to be met with questions and scrutiny And we'll see how he does. But I don't know. I just think there's an authenticity to him that wasn't really sold to us before we hired him. I remember looking at press conferences of his when that name started going around the circles. And I had about a week to get mentally prepared for Brett Bielema being the coach. And I was impressed. I I did not ever really listen to him at Wisconsin. I just judged him at face value and thought he's just some big dude that used to play offensive line. And of course he had success at Wisconsin. No, there is a an intangible quality to him and his personality that I had no idea about. So I do think Cardinals 13, it is a perfect storm in terms of timing. Billy says, this is the kind of season that builds a program. And he says, I love it. And I think Billy, you're referring to when I was just beaming as I've been doing in most of these podcasts. I feel like I remember some older pods where the gist of it was, man, wouldn't it be nice to just be Wisconsin? Gotta say it feels kind of good. Well, I do think now, Billy, where you are at, you have, And I never would have expected this with football. Never. 
Basketball, I always knew you could flip it. Oddly enough, it took two and a half years for Underwood. With football, it took a year, a year for Brett Bielema. And really, if you're going back to when it turned last year, it took him six games to figure it out, seven games when you were two and five. And since then, if I'm correct, that would be three and two to end last season. Yeah, you're nine and three since. Nine and three, which was the Rose Bowl team's record for that whole season. You've played a Rose Bowl caliber season in the last 12 games with five to go and a lot of winnable games on the docket. So it is pretty incredible and it feels great and it does feel, Billy, like the kind of season that does build build a program. I don't think that's hyperbolic at all to say. Okay, this is from Michael Gerard. Hello, Michael. I'm ready for a great offensive showing. I think we'll look crisp and the five-yard play the last three weeks will be the seven-yards play. And I think, Michael, when you mentioned the five- and seven-yards play inside of the red zone, that is what I'm most excited to see. Well, I say excited. Nervous until I see us punch it in the first time we're in the red zone. And if, if we do that early, to me, that will be just one of those anecdotal signs that this team yet again figured out what wasn't working and they made it work. Josh McCray is a big deal against this Nebraska defense that's very rough against the run. Josh McCray is a huge difference maker. Even if Nebraska knows it's coming, you got to think a healthy, fresh-legged McCray can punch it in. And at least that gives you the option. I think that you continue to roll DeVito out, or worst case, throw it away, Tommy. Use your legs down there because the passing plays haven't worked and running it straight up the gut hasn't worked with Chase for whatever reason I'm excited to see the red zone performance, and I do think that we are due for a great offensive performance. Why not this one? I, I use this metaphor sometimes, and it's been a while, but I have, where in Little League, you put the donut on the bat, and then you take the donut off, and then the bat feels like a Q-tip. My point here is that when you played the defenses of Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota three games in a row... And if DeVito plays against Iowa, you would have had a serviceable offensive performance. Chase Brown was still running. DeVito was moving the ball. So let's call it what it is. Three straight games where the offense is moving the ball just fine against pretty damn good defenses. Nebraska's not a good defense. And this is the transitive property, and I know it's a week-to-week proposition. But there should be no reason why this offense shouldn't look even better against the likes of Nebraska when they were showing improvement against much better defenses. It's the donut on the bat. Now the donut is off. It should be easier to swing the bat, or in this case, move the ball, and finally punch it in a little bit more. If they punch it in for touchdowns on Saturday, this game should not be close at the end of it. Keith says a three-loss team will win the West. Yeah, I mean, that would afford Illinois two more, right? We assume Michigan, and even though I'm going to Michigan, I assume, yeah, that's probably going to be a loss. It's the big house. It's a Michigan team that, even though they have Ohio State the next week, will likely still be undefeated and looking not just for Big Ten titles, but a national title. And listen, Jim Harbaugh is a great coach. Kind of a goof. For some reason, though, you know what? I don't hate Michigan football as much with Harbaugh. I think part of it is that I've grown to hate Ohio State. And I, of course, have family now from that area, and some of them are Michigan fans. And I get it. I really do get the Michigan thing. I get it more than Ohio State. I'll I'll put it that way. But, yeah, let's assume that's a loss. That affords you one more slip-up. I don't think it's going to be Michigan State, and I don't think it's going to be Northwestern. And you can't really have it be Purdue unless they definitely lose another game. Right? Or maybe two. But I don't know what those would be. So, yeah, in a way, all of these are must-win games. I think Keith, Illinois, might finish this as a two-loss team. And that is if they beat Nebraska and they come home for this two-game stretch, knowing what's on the line and with this coaching staff and with enough veterans on this team, I think if they beat Nebraska, they're going 10-2. and I do. And uh, that might be a leap, but I do think at that point, a two-win team wins the Big Ten West. Okay, so... Brad P. says, I've been listening to several Nebraska podcasts. They all think Illinois hasn't played anybody, and they expect Nebraska to win. Listen, it could happen. I do think that Nebraska, if that is accurate, Brad, I'm sure it is. I mean, listen, Nebraska is known for the nicest fans. Listen, they have an ego. Just because they put a happy Midwestern face on it doesn't mean they don't have an ego about their program and that they might be a little bit misguided about where they are. Let's talk about Nebraska's wins and, and not playing anybody. 
The three wins so far this year are Georgia Southern. No, not Georgia Southern. Excuse me. They lost to them. North Dakota, Rutgers by one, and then oh, Indiana. Now, that's more than we can say. They beat Indiana a heck of a lot better than, you know, they played them better than we did. Or I should say the margin was a lot different because I think they beat them by a few scores. So, yeah, hey, listen, they are capable of this. I would like to think the Indiana game was the aberration for this team. But if you play like you did against Indiana, yeah, well, if you make those that many mistakes and maybe a bad officiating call, you could be in a similar position. But I don't agree with their assessment, Brad. I, I think that Illinois has played people. It's not their fault they aren't in the Big Ten East. They can only play the teams in front of them. I don't think Wisconsin's terrible. We've seen what they did against Nebraska, uh, excuse me, Northwestern, and then what they did against Purdue. I mean, Purdue, by the way, if Nebraska's saying this, they gave up 43 points to a Purdue team that, when it mattered against Wisconsin, only had a, like 10 or 13 points before garbage time, and they punched in a few touchdowns, one of which should not have counted because Maccabee did not get it across the line, but I digress. So in terms of not playing anybody, their three wins are North Dakota, Rutgers, and Indiana. They lost by six to Purdue at Purdue. Not bad. Not bad. But they still gave up 600 yards. And Purdue is kind of a mistake-prone team. As, as, as good as Purdue can be at times, when you pass that much, how many teams do you see with gaudy passing statistics and yet they're just kind of a mess and you can't fully count on them? That's what I view as Purdue. Dangerous, of course. Nebraska's dangerous in that they do have talent. And Keith says Nebraska's wide receivers concern me a bit, but I think our offense will put up 40. They concern me a bit too, Keith, but this is where strength versus strength. It may be the toughest test that we've seen the secondary have to face because they haven't played a lot of great wide receivers in the last three weeks. Minnesota's wide receivers, what are they? I, I don't know. But on the flip side, maybe they all look that much more pedestrian because they're going against Illinois' defense. If you couple the talent you have in the secondary with a coach like Ryan Walters, I got to think they know exactly what they need to stop. The defensive line should be able to neutralize that running game enough where you can, if you need to double up or just have one safety, always kind of shading that side wherever Palmer is, fine. Make them go to the other guys is, is my thought. Don't let Palmer beat you. He got 200 plus yards against Purdue and it still wasn't enough. Why? Like you said, Keith, they tend to give up 35, 40 points a game. This is what they do defensively. So, yeah, Brad, there's going to be moments on Saturday before the game starts where I'm going that back and forth and thinking, do we, don't we? Oh, God, I'm a little bit nervous. Now that I know that the last time uh, Illinois played Nebraska, I also saw my morning jacket. I love that connection now. I'm going to be riding that out and just thinking, it's going to be a great day, a great day. But yes, it's not a gimme. And really, other than Northwestern, what gimmies are there? Even the Northwestern game, I'm going to wake up that Saturday and think, oh, God, guys, just whatever you do, don't screw this up. Kind of going to wake up the same way Saturday. I think we sometimes need to simplify this, and I have some numbers that will maybe help you guys do that if you're on the fence. Sometimes we need to simplify it. My approach is going to be this. Until the team gives me reason to not believe in them, I'm going to believe in them that they will get the job done. This is one of those business trips that you just go and you get it done. Style points don't matter, but the way Nebraska plays might lend itself to you getting some style points. Well, let's get to this. I got some stats here, team stats to compare Nebraska and Illinois. Now, Nebraska is averaging about 30 points a game. They're 29.7. Opponents are averaging 31.3. So they are getting outscored by two points. These are high-scoring games usually against Nebraska, though they have not faced a defense remotely close to Illinois. They haven't. And they've also had some low-scoring games, like the 14 points they scored against Rutgers or the 14 they scored against Oklahoma, who has now since fallen apart. First downs, Nebraska 158. Opponents have 174. Now, I'm going to leave it there and now go to Illinois and their scoring offense and defense. Illinois averages 26 points a game which I don't know if it feels like that because the Iowa game is so fresh in our minds, but 26 points a game compared to Nebraska's 29.7. Nebraska is giving up 31.3 points per game. Illinois is giving up 8.8. 31 points given up by Nebraska, 8.8 by Illinois, single digits. And we could say they haven't played anybody, but Virginia, even though they're a mess, has some talent offensively. Wyoming, they're scoring on people now. Wisconsin, they're scoring plenty. They scored 10 against you, right? 10? Or is it 14? Yeah, 34 to 10. 
Jeez. Minnesota, you gave up 14 points. One of them on your special teams more than your defense. First downs, Illinois has 158 on the year. The same exact number of first downs for Illinois' offense as Nebraska's. Here's the difference, though. Nebraska's opponents, 174 first downs. Illinois, pretty much half of that exactly. 86 first downs given up. Their defense has given up more than half. Sorry, less than half, excuse me, of Nebraska's defense. And that's through the same number of games, seven. Okay, rushing, I think, is going to play a big role in this game. Time of possession, I'm going to get to in a bit. That's one of my favorite stats. But Illinois has given up only 784 rushing yards on the season. And Nebraska has given up double that, 1435. Illinois has gained 1,552 yards. Nebraska, 1299, which isn't bad. It's pretty decent yardage, but they're just giving up so much. Average passing yards per game for Nebraska, they give up 269. Or sorry, they have... 269 passing yards per game offensively. They give up 281. Illinois' passing offense, 216. I think that will go up on Saturday. They give up 143 passing yards per game and only two passing touchdowns given up as opposed to Nebraska, which has given up 12. Total offense, Nebraska 488 plays. Illinois, 539 plays. This is going to lead in that time of possession conversation, which I think matters. Defensively, Illinois has only had to be on the field for 409 plays. Nebraska for 561. Again, I think this all matters. You know, There's only so many hits that a defense can give before they start breaking even more so. And what this Illinois team has done remarkably well is keep their strength off the field and only on it for like 25 minutes a game. It's pretty incredible. All right, kickoff returns. Now, if there's a thing that might scare you, right, it's, well, can Nebraska return the ball well? seems like their special teams are decent. They average 18 yards per kickoff return, and they only give up 13.75. And I don't know if I see any uh, touchdowns that they've scored. Illinois, meanwhile, their kickoff game, they average 20 yards per return, but they give up 22 yards per return because they don't kick it in the darn end zone. Punt average for Illinois, it looks like they average six yards per return, and their opponents are averaging negative 0.67 yards per return. So our punt coverage is good. Punt average, it looks like Nebraska is getting 15.4, but they're giving up 12 yards per punt return. If you can keep them from getting a return touchdown, don't you feel really good? And I know it's like, whoa, 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 Carp, you're saying touchdown here. <laughs> we aren't used to this team giving up touchdowns, period. But it does feel like that would be a play that they might need in order to get whatever number of points they have to get against Illinois. Okay, uh, let's see if there's anything else I really need to hit before my favorite stat. Okay, here we go. Third down conversions. Nebraska, not bad. 44 of 97 on third down conversions. Illinois, 41 of 108. So Illinois is 38% on third down. Nebraska's 45%. That's pretty good. Fourth down conversions, they're one for four. Illinois, 10 for 16. Whoa. I saw this posted, I think, lurking on Illini or Illinois loyalty, their message board, and someone mentioned that fourth down conversion thing. Nebraska will go for fourth downs on Saturday. They will be in positions where they have to. If you can shut them down on those, that's just one step closer to winning the game. What else do we have? Fumbles lost. Uh, let's see, eight fumbles for Nebraska, four of them lost. 12 fumbles for Illinois. Nine of them lost. So, yeah, you, you want to protect the ball. I, I would like to think that the Iowa game was you getting those turnovers out of your system. Let's hope. Illinois has been sacked 23 times for 168 yards. Is that right? Hmm. Or they've sacked their opponents 23 times. This is where the stat looks a little bit weird here. Hard for me to say. I'm, I'm going to skip that. i got to think that Illinois sacked their opponents 23 times, right? It would have to be. Let's see. <laughs> Here's a good stat. Illinois is perfect on their point after attempts, 20 for 20. Red zone touchdowns. Illinois 13 for 33. There you go. If there's a bugaboo, isn't that it? 13 of 33. They are 26 of 33 in the red zone scoring, but that's 13 field goals and 13 touchdowns. You can get big plays against Nebraska, so you won't always have to score from the red zone. Nebraska, 22 trips in the red zone to Illinois' 33, 17 touchdowns. That's a very good return, and I'm guessing they've had some chunk plays to get in the end zone too. Yeah, they can score, but have they played a defense like Illinois? Uh, no, they haven't. So 
take solace in the fact that you are right now just the better team and that if you do what you do best and just play the game in front of you, then you should take care of this. Final stat, time of possession. Nebraska can score in bunches, so it's not as if they need to have the ball for 35 minutes, but they average having the ball for 27 and a half minutes per game. Illinois averages 34 minutes and 50 seconds. Let's call it 35 even, and let's call Nebraska 28 even. If you recall, Minnesota was, I think, a top five time of possession team, and you had the ball for 40 minutes. If Nebraska's team offense is on the field for even just 25, that's not enough. I don't see how that's enough. Even with their chunk plays and their ability to stretch the field, I got to think they need to get closer to 30-30. I don't know how you do it. I, I, I don't because I think this Illinois defense, the front line, the defensive line stops the run in front of them. The secondary is a great safety blanket against a guy like Trey Palmer who might get his. He might. But then you couple some defensive pressure on Thompson, the quarterback for Nebraska, who has thrown eight interceptions this year. And I think that sets up for some big plays from your secondary. I assume you just put Witherspoon on him. Just do it. Hit him early. You know, Um, Set the tone. Make him fear going over the middle. I know that's a cliche football thing to say, but you got the secondary to do this. So what does this mean? My, my final thoughts of this game and, and a prediction. And before I get to a prediction, let's see if I got any more chat things here. Uh, this is from Cardinals 13. Do the Belichick style of defense against elite wide receivers. Use the second cornerback and safety to double the number one. Put your number one cornerback against number two. Well, here's the thing. Your number two cornerback, what would it technically be? Taz Nicholson, right? Because Quan Martin's kind of going all over, playing a little safety, playing a little nickel. Yeah, I don't mind that at all when you have Kendall Smith over the top and then Quan Martin can, what, shade the other side of the field with Taz, or sorry, with um, Devin Witherspoon and then you got Sidney Brown just roaming jack of all trades. I, I just love the secondary and I know Indiana, that last drive against Indiana, if you want to have shades of, uh-oh, they can, they are fallible. Yes, it's there on tape for you, but not a lot, not a lot. And you are counting on Nebraska to do this for a sustained 30 minutes. I think it would take that to get the number of points they need to win this game. Because, again, not to overthink, well, let's not overthink it. Illinois should score. They should score, and maybe this is the breakout game. Also, let's look at the recent history of this matchup. You beat them last year. Art Sipkowski comes in, actually has a pretty good game. And yeah, it took some bad throws from Adrian Martinez, no doubt. But you were still probably the better team that day, and you deserved to win. So you beat Nebraska last year in Brett Bielema's first game. And then back in 2020, Lovey's last year, you went in there and smoked them. 2019, what was that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was the barn burner at Memorial Stadium where you gave up 700-plus yards to Nebraska. But it was still a close game. All that is to say, look at the recent history, even going back to 2018, right? 2018 or was it 2017 you went into Nebraska I think and you had the lead going into the fourth quarter this has been an even matchup in most years this is not most years this is a Nebraska team that while they are not reeling right now because they have Mickey Joseph doing a pretty good job as an interim just keeping their heads above water this is a team that's still mistake prone Illinois while they have had some turnovers for the most part play fundamentally sound football and they can knock the crap out of other teams so Violent, stifling defense. I need to go with, okay, my head or my gut here? I don't know, guys. I I think my head is actually more optimistic than my gut, if that makes any sense. Illinois should score 38 to Nebraska's 20. 38-20. Is it going to be a blowout all game? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I think you have the ability to control it from the outset, but I think you're going to score. I just think you are. I think you're due for a high-scoring game, and it could be even more than 38. The way Tommy DeVito's playing and the way you're running the ball and with Josh McCray coming back, you have a fully healthy offense that went through the three-team gauntlet defensively of Wisconsin's defense, Iowa's defense, Minnesota's defense, and really they were moving the ball pretty well in all of those games. So why would that be any different? 
then you couple that with actually finishing drives, which is what I'm banking on. I'm banking on this team having improved in the bye week and Barry Lunny getting even more comfortable as a play caller, enough so that you close out these drives. So with that in mind, 38 points for Illinois, 20 for Nebraska is still assuming that they're good enough offensively to get some points against you. Maybe one of them's a late garbage time touchdown. Maybe we're all t- like it's 21 to 20 and we're a little bit scared there for a bit. And then our defense figures it out. But if you've watched this Illinois defense, if you don't score the first possession, Minnesota was an exception here. If you don't score the first possession against Illinois, they tend to adapt very quickly to whatever you're doing. And I just got to go with what I've seen. And what I've seen is Illinois is really good. Nebraska's not. Let's keep it simple. 38-20 to 20 in a Big Ten title race. Nebraska, while they are in the race technically, are they really a threat? I guess if they beat Illinois, they would be. Sure. But this is where champions get it done. And I'm banking on this team to be the Big Ten West champions because they're the best team in the Big Ten West. Yeah, don't overthink it. Whew, am I talking myself out of this? Am I loony for being this confident? Or am I just saying I'm this confident? I am this confident. But listen, as fans, it's impossible to not have that little tinge of nervousness. It's it's impossible. It doesn't matter. We're going to wake up the Northwestern Saturday. Please, for the love of God, don't lose the Northwestern. We just are. And then we might win 52 to 10. Okay, so, and then we'll laugh at the thought that we even could have, could have pondered Illinois losing to Northwestern. I would love on Saturday around 6 p.m. Central Time for us to all have a chuckle and say, oh, why, why were we worried about that? And this is an Illinois team that strikes me as one that can make us feel that way, where we say, wait, we doubted you? Why? Okay. One more thing before we get out of here, a little bit of Illinois basketball. As I said earlier in this podcast, I'm not going to do the live pod on Friday for an exhibition game. But we are getting close to the season. So when that gets started, I will do second half pods for the games I don't go to. My parents are going to start going again, so they're pumped. I'll go to some games, uh, but not quite as many as last year. So that means more home game pods and most away games. Now, the Michigan weekend, you have the tournament in Vegas. So that Friday and Sunday, I won't be able to. I will take my equipment up, though, to do a podcast Sunday morning after the Illinois-Michigan game. Uh, hopefully that go. I mean, could you imagine? <laughs> oh God, let's not, let's get this game first because it's not a gimme in Nebraska, but I'm, I'm pretty pumped for that Michigan game, but Friday, I'm not going to do one Sunday. I'll do one for both uh, exhibition game reaction towards the tail end of it. And of course the Illinois Nebraska game, but Luke Goody, we do need to talk about this injury news for Illinois. The rumors started, I think, what was it? Saturday evening or Sunday morning about someone being hurt. And when you hear a rumor like that, you think, please, please don't be this guy, that guy or the other. And oddly enough, you know, Luke Goody was not one of the first names that came to mind. However, upon hearing that he is the guy, that will probably be out at least for the non-conference and into the Big Ten season, that's a big loss. And I, I think that, as Jeremy was alluding to in his most recent podcast, it's the shooting. Now, this team can probably find some other guys that can make threes, and maybe Melendez shoots it at just as high a clip as he did last year, which would be incredible. Terrence Shannon Jr., you can probably bank on him making some threes for you. I'm trying to think of some others. I mean, I don't know, can Jaden Epps? I know he's known for getting buckets, as the kids say, and maybe he's the guy that can step up in that regard. Matthew Mayer, I think, could shoot a little bit too. Maybe Coleman Hawkins improves. The list goes on. You'll make threes this year, but Luke Goody was going to be a steady hand in that rotation. Not a starter, but a steady hand. So it does hurt. I will try to find a silver lining here, though. The non-conference ultimately doesn't matter so much as uh, the progress that this team makes. I do think this lends this team uh, an opportunity to progress some of the younger guys that would have gotten fewer minutes with Luke Goody. Probably talking about Jaden Epps and Sincere Harris. Getting more minutes just because you have to. And then Ty Rogers, for that matter. Because he is at that wing position. He can play almost any position. About the same height, I think, as Luke Goody. So you're really just kind of accelerating the process of these younger guys. And I think that bodes well for both March, but also the long-term future. If we're finding a silver lining, it's that it wasn't Terrence Shannon Jr. Because that would have been been a problem. 
You know, you need that go-to guy. You still have it. You still have your point guard in Sky Clark. That would have actually been the number two guy that I said you cannot afford an injury to your main point guard. And you'll get a guy like Ty Rogers playing point forward. I mean, it's going to be fun to see all these guys. Luke Goody is a loss. It's not debilitating. When he comes back, it's going to be a hell of an addition because you know what he can do well. He can defend, he can shoot the three, and he's got size. And he can rebound. Good rebounder, too. But really, I think this team is going to be great defensively. I think this team is going to be pretty good rebounding. If they can just not suck at shooting threes, you're going to weather the storm and probably weather it pretty well. There's going to be some losses in the non-conference. Overall, though, I still think it's the best team in the Big Ten. Uh, And that's partly a battle of attrition. But do you buy Indiana? I don't. I mean, let's stop. Stop. Mike Woodson's fine. But... (laughs) I'm not counting on Trace Jackson Davis to lead any team to a Big Ten title. I'm not. There's something about that kid that just does not exactly scream champion to me. And the candy stripe suit didn't help at Big Ten Media Days. You might be saying, Carp, good Lord, this kid's 15 years your junior and you're talking crap about him. All I'm saying is no. And I'll eat a hat if Indiana wins the Big Ten. They aren't. They aren't. That's one of those, I got to see it before I believe it things. And even though they beat Illinois in the Big Ten tournament last year, that was an Illinois team that was running on fumes. And I probably should have seen that thing coming a mile away. That doesn't mean Indiana's great. Okay. Basically, it means they're just a little bit better than Chattanooga. Because <laughs> Chattanooga looked as good as Indiana for good chunks of that game. It's an ugly brand of basketball. I just don't see that winning the Big Ten. And you might lose at Indiana again this year. Or actually, no, you beat Indiana at Indiana this year. But you might split the series if you even have two games against them. I still don't buy them as Big Ten champions. I think they're too... I got to see it. I got to see something different. And I know with Illinois, you're saying, well, Carp, you haven't even seen this team play yet. That is true. But there is no more talented team. And then, kind of like with Brett Bielema, I'm falling back on this coaching staff. Uh, they, they've figured this out rather quickly and have had three excellent Big Ten seasons in a row, two of which really, if we're being honest, are Big Ten title seasons, though I know the banners for Big Ten tournament and Big Ten regular season. That's great. And then three years ago, Brad Underwood's third year, you were a game away from it. So they know how to win Big Ten games. It doesn't happen overnight. And even though Indiana's returning a bunch, I actually will take the program prestige of Illinois over what Indiana has at the moment. I don't even know if Indiana, Indiana's a borderline top 25 team. I think Illinois, when all said and done, is top 15, top 12 team. When all said and done, they're loaded. They're athletic. It's going to be fun. So uh, enjoy the exhibition game if you go on Friday night. And I'll be kind of keeping tabs on it. And I'll make a few comments on Sunday. But that will be mostly a football podcast because, hey, guys, Illini basketball, get out of the way. We're talking about Illinois football right now. Isn't that a weird position to be in? All right. uh, Before we get out of here, and I appreciate all the YouTube live folks joining us on this Wednesday fall evening. Fall is, is really in the air. And there is that intensity that's starting to brew before each and every game. This is the home stretch, the final five. And if you're asking me right now, Carp, okay, I I made my Illinois-Nebraska prediction. I said 38 to 20, Illinois. I was close with Minnesota. I think I said 24 to 14, 24 to 13, and it was 26 to 14. So I finally got close. I'm going 38 to 20, Illinois beats Nebraska. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. For the final five games, I think Illinois goes four and one. I do. I think that they go 10 and two in the regular season and they play Ohio State and Indy. I think they lose to Michigan, but in a game where it's down to the final possession, and while it is a loss, it's one of those, oh, oh, they were legit. That's going to be a hell of a game. That's going to be like a 24 to 21 kind of classic, I think, where. Points come at a premium, but both offenses and defenses are just so well run and they execute so well by that point in the season where it's just going to be one play. And it's going to be a bummer, but hey, if you got a trip to Indy already wrapped up, I'm just going in footloose and fancy free that Saturday in Ann Arbor. My prediction as we sit here today is Illinois goes 10-2 and two, and they that means 4-1 and one in these final five. And then you're in Indy. And I I can't wait, knock on wood, that we can have that conversation here in this podcast. But 
until proven otherwise, guys, we should be confident about this team. We really should be. And I think Saturday they'll reaffirm that. It's always weird after bye week. You know, you spend a week away from watching them and you forget how comfortable you have felt watching them. Since other than the Indiana game, and we were so frustrated because we thought, guys, what are you doing? You're better than them, right? That wasn't made it frustrating. I suppose that could happen Saturday too. But in the five games since that Indiana game, you have not just won. You've controlled those games. And I got to go with that until I see something different. So, Oski Wow Wow, I-O-L. I'm not usually one to say that, but yeah, let's do it. All right, DPDO, online at dpdo.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So for a business lunch or for a late-night snack, dpdo.com. Also, Dogtown Heating Air and Plumbing, football, campfires, s'mores, it's tailgate season. And also, time to get your furnace checked. So call them today at 217-841-4728. Dogtown Heating Air and Plumbing, your home's best friend. State Farm agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. And Rector Construction, online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior projects. Get a free quote today by visiting rectorconstruction.com. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. Thank you guys for joining us here on YouTube Live. If you haven't already, subscribe and follow us there. We're building quite a nice following. And uh, for a random Wednesday night, I appreciate anyone that stopped by. And I always have these available by the next day if you prefer the video part of it. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy. I will be back Sunday after hopefully an Alani win and certainly a kick-ass rock and roll show in Louisville. As I said, third and final time I'll say this, the last time Illinois played Nebraska, they won, and that same night I saw my morning jacket, history may repeat itself this Saturday. Fingers crossed that it will. We'll talk soon, everybody. It is the 200 level.